New Thinking Aloud, conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is a photographer among the spirits, and my guest is Shannon Taggart, the author of the highly acclaimed fine art photography book called Seance. Shannon has spent years exploring spiritualist communities of many different types. She's based in New York, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Shannon. It's a real pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be a guest on your show. I am a big fan. Well, that's wonderful to hear. I'm, I'm delighted that we're reaching people such as yourself who are extremely experienced in the metaphysical, spiritual worlds. You've, you've spent years now going back and forth to places like Lilydale and the Arthur Findlay College, not to mention many other explorations in your hometown in New York City and elsewhere around the world. But let's focus on uh, the spiritualists today. And tell me, how is it that you got started in exploring spiritualism? Well, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, uh, which is near the town Lilydale, New York, uh, which is home to the world's largest spiritualist community. It's a tiny hamlet uh, on Lake Casadega in the southern tier of New York State. And when I was younger, uh, my older cousins would go there for readings in the summer. And when I was about 14, my cousin Rita went and she came back with this message from a medium that uh, told the true story of how my, our grandfather died. And it was this kind of strange bit of family history. It was sort of a secret. And every, my whole entire family was shocked that this medium that my cousin had never met came forth with this really striking evidence. And, you know, this stuck with my head, in my head. And around the same time, I found photography. And so, it just kind of was bonded for me in that, in that, uh, you know, time of my life. But I didn't pursue spiritualism until I was in out of college and I was working as a professional photographer. It, so it sounds like the incident with your cousin was something very real. As I recall from your book, your grandfather came through in spirit form through a medium and said, I didn't die the way everybody says I did. I choked to death. Mm -hmm. which was very dramatic. And it was, um, my father hadn't even told my mother that, um, you know, that detail. It was kind of something that people didn't want to talk about and had forgotten. And my grandfather came back and said, I, I want you to know this. And it, it was just so striking and so emotional and so real for um, my family that I, I could not get shake. How would this stranger possibly know this? Like, how could this happen? You know, that question stayed with me for years. From the very beginning, you had a sense that there's something to this paranormal business. Yes, but I had never had a reading before. I was raised Catholic, 
and, you know, I very studied in the lives of the saints and I went to Catholic school and, and knew all the, all the stories. Uh, and Catholics believe that the soul lives on. And so what the spiritualists believe, it wasn't anything different from what I was raised with, but I had never had a reading. I never met a medium. In fact, uh, before I went to Lilydale, I couldn't understand how you could be a sane person and say you were communicating with the spirits of the dead. I mean, that just didn't compute um, to me. And, but I was so curious, and I wanted to learn. And I wanted to learn about these people's lives and, and hear about their, um, you know, what was happening in Lilydale. So you've been there now, I have to think, many, many times. Yes, yes. I kind of thought I'd spend one summer... Uh, you know, checking out Lilydale and making a short photo essay about this quirky little town. And instead, here I am 20 years later now, uh, still em embracing and magnifying the topic. And I gather you got permission from the board of directors to work with them as, as sort of the on-site photographer, creating a, a photo journal of everything going on there. Yes, I did. I met with the board of directors and I proposed my project and they very graciously welcomed me, even though at the time I didn't even know what I would do with this work. Uh, but they, I think they recognized that I was sincerely curious and wanted to learn everything about I could about spiritualism in Lilydale. And everybody was very gracious. I guess we have to call you a photojournalist as well as a fine art photographer. And in addition to that, I think of you as a, a collector, an art historian of spirit photographs. Yes, that the research aspect of my career was not, that's not how I began thinking about this. But it, it ended up really becoming a big part because I realized that spiritualism had this really grand photo history that wasn't in any of the textbooks I studied from. And and the more I learned about that, the more fascinated I became with that and realized that as a photographer looking at spiritualism, I was actually working in a tradition that uh, was unknown to me and is un was unknown to many. As I gather from your book, and I didn't really fully understand it myself, the whole point of, of spiritualism, particularly I think at Lilydale, is they want scientific proof of the reality of the spirit world. Yes. Spiritualism is a fascinating... It started in uh, 1848 in upstate New York, and it spread across the country and to England and Europe and around the world eventually. Uh, you know, this um, practice of speaking with spirits of the dead in modern times. I mean, this practice has been around since, you know, in every culture throughout time. But it kind of reappeared in upstate New York uh, in 1848. From my understanding, historically, if you were to take the consciousness movement, the counterculture, the psychedelic drug movement that is current in our present era, Spiritualism would have been the equivalent of that, especially in the uh, 19th century. That's what blew my mind. It was so uh, involved in progressive culture, in the women's rights movement, um, in modern art practice, in even a lot of the scientists who are doing cutting-edge science were investigating seances. And so to find 
that spiritualism was such a big part of our culture and that this had been kind of written out of the histories was totally fascinating. And that's where I got really got into the research aspect of it. And what really impressed me going through your book is that uh, today in Lilydale and elsewhere, you were also at the Arthur Findlay College in England, they're still experimenting. There are small groups of people, home circles and gatherings of mediums who are saying, let's try this technology, let's try that technology. And you were there documenting much of it. Yes. And I was surprised that you know, spiritualism uh, in the beginning was always, uh, you know, tied to technology and that people are still trying to do spirit photography and uh, play with, you know, recordings and EVP and now video and, and people use apps on their iPhones or Google Translate now to try to um, talk to spirits. And that whole aspect was totally fascinating that it was continuing on because many will say, oh, spirit photography, that's from the 19th century. And no, I found people were still using all of these devices to try to talk with spirits and ma making new ways of doing it. Lots of times, I think people assume that spirit photography is all fraudulent. You look at many of these old pictures, and I know you have amassed a huge collection, and, and you think to yourself, this has to be uh, fraudulent. And yet, at the same time, I, I see very eminent researchers were involved in these seances taking enormous precautions to prevent fraud. Yeah, that's one of the fascinating things is when you go back to the primary sources, the the experiences people describe in these seance rooms is astounding. And these are Nobel laureates, uh, you know, Charles Richet, the, the man who coined the term ectoplasm was a Nobel laureate in medicine. Uh, you know, all these eminent people of the day, William Crookes, um, yeah, William James was involved with uh, mediums and when you re read these accounts, it's hard to it's hard to put together these these photos that look so fake and so phony with uh, the sincere eyewitness reports of what was happening. It's it's and the spirit photography is a very strange uh, moment in the history of photography, and I think it's a strange aspect of spiritualism. A lot of spiritualists denounce the images because they aren't proof or they don't look like proof. Well, I know you approach this as a, an artist, really looking at the the meaning that people find in these images, not as a scientist. But I have to say one of the most impressive photographs you uh, show in your book is Sir William Crookes, who was the president of the Royal Scientific Society uh, with a full-blown spirit materialization. I believe the name of the spirit was Katie King. and. It's really quite amazing that a man of his stature would attest that as, as far as he was concerned, this was an authentic spirit materialization that occurred in his presence and was photographed. Yes. And uh, in my book, I was able to actually use one photo of Katie King at William Crooks's uh, home, which was never published before. So that was that was really exciting to be able to reproduce these images in the book as well as talk about them. But yes, and he was not only a scientist, he was also an expert in photography. And 
he knew this is somebody who understood the medium of photography and was still putting forth these images as sincere, actual pictures of materializations. As I recall, the uh, skeptical argument is that he was having a, an illicit sexual affair with the medium. I think her name was Florence Cook. And uh, he was using the ruse of the spirit materializations to cover up his affair. But uh, somehow that seems like a very unconvincing criticism to me. Yes, yes. there And there's, there's all lots of... Um Boundaries blurring in seance rooms and lots of accusation of fraud, of, of sexual in, in, impropriety, of women being examined by these, by the, the, the scientists. Uh, it does get very, uh, complicated, uh, especially for the era. It was kind of seances were breaking the rules of the etiquette of the era as well. And there was, it's, it's hard to tell what was going on, actually. I mean, when you, when you read some of the accounts, they're really astounding, and it's hard to dismiss everything. It really is, especially mediums like Giuseppe Palladino, who is one of the enigmas of of all of spiritualism. As a matter of fact, I have uh, in the New Thinking Aloud archive a separate interview with the historian Carlos Alvarado about Eusebia Palladino. I'm linking to it right now for viewers who might want to watch that video and go into great depth about just that particular medium. I thought another one of the most impressive photographs you had was with the famous medium, Minna Crandon, also known as Marjorie. Uh, and this appears to be, a, as best I could see, ectoplasm emerging from probably her vagina, her crotch. And her husband was a medical doctor. He's right there. She's, uh, and it's a hand. It's an ectoplasmic hand. Yes, uh, Mina Crandon, known as Marjorie the Medium, she's another absolutely fascinating case study. There were a lot of famous scientists who were convinced that she was real. There are people who, even though they thought she was a fake, still couldn't explain everything that she did. Houdini uh, was involved in studying her, and he... Um, you know, at one time said he caught her doing something he didn't do because he really couldn't catch her in the act and figure out exactly how she was creating the effects that she was creating. He built this box for her where her, it, um, it's a famous photo where her head just sticks out in her arms and she's in this wooden box. It's just, it, the whole, um, history of, of trying to prove that spirits uh, are real is a very fascinating, wacky history and photography definitely has its uh strange part in all of it now you took many photographs yourself and although i i realize you're not claiming any sort of scientific proof with regard to your photographs there are many strange things that you photograph for example orbs yes yes orbs are I guess I would say they're, they're one of the major forms of spirit photography today. And it's probably because of the digital cameras and people are able to use flash digital cameras, uh, in, in a way that is, makes a lot of orb photography possible. But if you, if you ask an orb photographer, you know, what are you proving with the, it's not, 
they're not so concerned whether it's dust or water or, or explaining the physicality of orbs. They are concerned about interacting with the orbs. They'll go and they'll call the orbs in, ask the orbs to appear in certain patterns, go to the grave of their loved ones and ask for orbs. And they call that orb calling. And that aspect of it is absolutely fascinating. And so um, for I don't usually get a lot of orbs in my pictures. And um, I was in Italy and I was working with uh, some or a band of orb photographers and they said, okay, well, come with us. And I said, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring my camera, but I'm just telling you, I probably won't get any orbs. And they said, oh no, if we go into the mountains and we say our prayers, you will get orbs. And that is the one time I got an absolutely phenomenal picture of, I, I took a picture and it was the whole, it, the whole frame is filled with orbs and it wasn't a dust storm and it wasn't raining and it not, it was just a very strange um, experience. And I love the photo. As I recall, you also photographed orbs right over the grave of Arthur Findlay, the founder of the Arthur Findlay Spiritualist College. Yes. Yeah, that was one of my early accidental photographs. Um, I, I say in the book that I at first I didn't know how to photograph spiritualism because everything I was thought I was trying to photograph was really invisible. You know, how do you talk? How do you photograph a, a person speaking with a spirit that you can't see? And I started to have a few happy accidents with my camera uh, early on. And then I, I thought, oh, well, maybe I should just play with it and not, you know, play with the camera and see what happens. And I started to have a lot of synchronicities that helped me tell the story of, of spiritualism and the story of the spiritualist I was meeting. You attended many seances, and I gather you witnessed many exhibitions of ectoplasm yourself. Actually, I have not witnessed so many of ectoplasm. I heard a lot of ectoplasm. I heard a lot about it. And I, when I first started photographing, uh, there, I, nobody was really doing ectoplasmic seances at the time. This is in the early 2000s, or at least I couldn't find any. Uh, but all the spirituals I met believed in the reality of it. And so slowly, it seemed like uh, people became more and more interested in ectoplasm. And I, I, I think this is largely because of the skull group that was in England that was practicing. They, they brought back a lot of interest in the, in the Victorian style seance of mediumship and physical phenomena and seance rooms. And so, um, I finally met an ectoplasmic medium who was willing to let me photograph. And that was Kai Mugi from Germany. And so I was allowed to photograph his ectoplasmic seance. Uh, a lot of times people say they're working with ectoplasm and you can't see it. It's not like the Victorian pictures. It's something totally different. And what I found is the term ectoplasm is really fluid in spiritualism. And it means different things to different mediums. Yeah, they look like gauze or cheesecloth or or pieces of cloth and they you know the medium kai swears that it's real he's been accused of fraud as as many uh mediums are i've sat in seances with people who believe he's 100 percent genuine other people say he's um you know doing a, a type of theater uh i've Left, what I did in the book was I left every possibility open and for Kai, for, for all the mediums, I let them speak 
about their work and what they believed that they were doing and, and how they were framing it. And, um, you know, I, in spiritualism, it's, it's everybody practices in their own way. It's not a church. It doesn't have a hierarchy like, uh, like the Catholic church or anything. Everybody pretty much makes their own rules. And so you'll find a lot of different theories about what should be happening in a seance room. Well, I gather you attended quite a few classes at the Arthur Findlay College in England. Yes, yes. The Arthur Findlay College is, it's, so Lilydale is a town and, and uh, so that's a, an entire town where there's mediums living and Arthur Findlay College is different where it's a learning center outside of London and a lot of people describe it as like a Harry Potter style Hogwarts for adult spiritualists. And that really is sort of, uh, you know, that's the best analogy I can use to describe it. And people come from all over the world to study trance and healing and mediumship and message work and anything that you could think of. And I've been there many times and it's a really, really wonderful place. And you attended some classes there as well. Yes, yes. I've, I've attended there and I've photographed there and I've met a lot of uh, different mediums uh, all from all over the world there. Some of the um, experiences that you had also involved uh, what you call ITC or EVP, instrumental trance communication or electronic voice phenomena, people who have various devices. I think some are called spirit boxes that scan the radio frequencies and you, you can pose a question and then I guess it, at random will come an answer. Sometimes those answers are directly relevant to the question that was posed. And I gather you experience that as well. Well, a lot, a lot of people use all different types of technology, but this specific device is called, it's called a spirit box or a Frank's box. And it kind of works like a radio Ouija board where you put it in the middle of the room and it picks up bits of, uh, you know, whatever's on the radio waves. And several times I've seen it used in a seance where it will answer a question sensically back or say things that, um, completely resonate with the question that was asked. And when that happens, it's shocking. And that's one of the most shocking things out of everything, anything I've ever seen is uh, when that happens. Interestingly, now that I recall the story, you were there with my friend George Hansen, the author of the paranormal and the trickster. He's he's really a, a person who has a deep appreciation for the trickster archetype in the Jungian sense and how confounding these types of phenomena can be. And if I recall correctly, he was with you with one of these spirit boxes and he said, what is three times three? And the answer came right back, nine. It, it did. It did. But the funny thing is when he said, uh, he, when he said three times three, he was talking about um, a spirit. Uh, um, he was talking about William Cox, the, the parapsychologist, had this spirit that he worked with called three times three, which was supposed to represent his unconscious. So George said, um, is, I forget how he worded it, but he said three times three and the box said nine back. <laughs> um, so, but it, it really did happen and it, that shocked me c completely. 
Well, since you mentioned William Cox, whom I knew, he did a lot of research back in the day. He's now deceased, but he worked with a group called the Surat Group. I know you've been studying them as well, and I'm going to link to my interview with the sociologist Bill McLennan, who studied that group, or James McLennan, who studied that group. And it's a very fascinating uh, history. It's related to spiritualism. Uh, it's also, I think, related to Native American spirituality, which which is a related phenomena. Yes, yes. Right now, I'm actually working on a, a photography book about the Surat group, which is fascinating. I think it's probably one of the most fascinating parapsychology cases from America from this from the 20th century and um yes and and i'm dealing with uh, william cox's experiments there and the whole uh surat group started with the man named john g nyhart who wrote the book black elk speaks about a native american medicine man from the ogala sioux and it is fascinating how spiritualism directly ties to the Native American practices and a lot of you can you can see a lot of the traditions resonating and um, this ancient this ancient practice kind of springing up again in spiritualism. I don't want to pass by you mentioned the skull group earlier and uh, I have yet to do a, an interview about the Skoll Group. It's one of the most significant groups, and I gather uh, they, they carried on for years and years. They conducted many experiments. They've been studied extensively by the Society for Psychical Research. I certainly need to do a program just on the Skoll Group, but f uh, for our viewers, could you summarize a little bit what it was about? So the, the Skoll Group was active in the 1990s in England, and they were founded by two, two couples, but um, mainly by Robin and Sandra Foy. And Robin Foy had wanted to bring back, uh, you know, physical phenomena into the seance room and see if they could do it. And, and they, they, so they did dark seances, but they also incorporated video and photography and a lot of different um, types of technology, a lot of experimentation. And they were, they were fully active for about five years together and amassed a huge amount. What some, what some people would call the best evidence ever created in a seance room for life after death. And they were studied by tons of people came there, uh, like the Sorak group. The Sorak group was uh, also studied by so many people who uh, really knew what they were doing. And and then they, they disbanded, uh, but they still have this legacy. And that's uh, they kind of ignited a lot of, of these practices to come back in spiritualism in England uh, specifically. As I recall, one of the uh, most unusual phenomena uh, reported uh, were apports. Yes. So an apport is an object that materializes in a seance room. It's said to dematerialize from one place and materialize in another place. And so the skull had a number of uh, very dramatic apports materialize in their seance room. And I was able to photograph some of their apports and include them in the book, which was uh, really a, a real honor to be able to photograph their their 
to see them after reading about all the all the experiences to actually see the airports that was really interesting some of them were like little animals i think like little lizards uh, at least that's what it looked like to me yeah they had they had all uh, all sorts like handkerchiefs from famous mediums and they built a device uh they they apported I think direction or directions apported from Thomas Edison etched onto film and then they built a device to talk to him. Uh, they yeah they had all different all different kinds and they, they, throughout the history of spiritualism, um, apports have been a, a major a major form of phenomena. And as I recall, uh, you experienced some apports yourself. I think while you were at the Arthur Findlay College. So, you know, I didn't know what to think of airports and I certainly never had experienced anything like that, but, uh, you know, having an airport appear anywhere before. And I was at the Arthur Findlay College and I had made a cup of tea and I brought it into my class and I was drinking it. And I, at the end of the tea, I found a penny was in, it was in my cup at the bottom and I yelled out, I couldn't, because I, I couldn't, I made the tea myself and I was sitting next to a woman from Norway and I didn't have any of my American money. So I had no idea how this penny had dropped into my tea. And everybody at Arthur Finley College said, oh, it, it must have been because Abra it was an Abraham Lincoln penny. And they said it must be because Abraham Lincoln was a spiritualist. The um, spiritualists believe that he was a spiritualist. There is evidence that uh, he, they held seances, him and his wife at the, at the White House. Um, and his wife was famously photographed by the first spirit photographer, William Mumler. So there was definitely some connection there. Uh, William Mumler is a fascinating person in the history of spirit photography, obviously very controversial. And I'm sure many people looking at his photographs would say these are obviously faked. But uh, as I understand it, uh, he was never uh, caught in fraud and uh, he actually was involved in a lawsuit of some sort. Yes, he was involved in a lawsuit and he was acquitted. And it was uh, one of these first uh, moments where people publicly questioned the photographic reality or what pictures can actually do or, or you know, what is truth? What are the truth-telling aspects of photography? And he was acquitted, but he ended up dying penniless and losing his business. But uh, for he was the very first spirit photographer from Boston, and he was uh, he was caught. Uh, one of the one of the things he was accused of was, you know, he would have these these uh, beautiful posed portraits, and then there'd be a ghosting of a spirit uh, somewhere in the image. And somebody accused him of using other newspaper pictures and superimposing them, taking the images from the newspaper and superimposing them. But uh, he wasn't found guilty, and it was it, the debate really raged in the public through his trial. Well, as a fine art photographer, I gather that you've discovered that you can use photography. Many people think photography is always realistic, but you use photography in a way to convey more of a spiritualist perspective as an artist. At first, I thought. Um, spiritualism was a, an impossible thing to photograph. And now I, I see uh, photography as oddly uh, a 
just the perfect medium to approach spiritualism with. They have a lot in common. The, the photographic process captures presence and, you know, you can, you can capture people uh, before their death and, and, and keep their image after they're gone. And there's all, you're also playing with light and time and um, you're manipulating reality in a way. So, so there is a lot of metaphorical uh, similarities between a medium bringing forth uh, to speaking as if they're talking to spirits and the, the camera being able to time travel and uh, traverse realms for us. And so I try to play with that, um, the artistic possibilities. You know, earlier you talked about some happy accidents. And as I recall, there was one instance in which you were uh, in a seance situation and other people in the room with you said they could see a spirit uh, next to the medium that you didn't see, but you were taking pictures at the time. And then later on, when the film was developed or or perhaps it was a, a digital i'm not sure but a, another image appeared uh, that was similar to what the other sitters in the séance were describing even though you didn't see it you captured something on film yeah uh so yeah i was shooting on film at the time and i was just trying to make a normal documentary picture of this woman holding a flashlight uh, in the seance room and everybody was seeing this other face. Oh, it looks just like you, but it's not you. It's your grandmother. Oh, it's your, it's your doppelganger. Oh, it's, it's Marie Laveau, the voodoo priestess. And I didn't see this other face, but everybody was certain they were seeing this face. And then when I got my, my film, I saw exactly that on the negative and it was accidental. I did not make that with, I, I did not intend that in any way. And I thought, oh, this accident from my long exposure was such a pure metaphor for what everybody was seeing. And it was so synchronistic and uncanny. And so I tried to start to play with the synchronicity and um, the strange, uh, the strange correspondences I could make with my camera, if I just let the automatic process take over. So you were using long exposure as an artistic technique. Yeah, at, at, but in that case, I, I was just using it as a necessity because you're in a really dark room and, you, you know, you have, to, you have to give it a little bit of time to make the picture. But then I started to just play with that, like just to allow to, uh, to do different types of time exposures and see what would happen. And, and some of those seem to be artistic representations of, of what the people in the seance say they're experiencing. I had this one uh, time I was sitting with this medium, Sharon Harvey, who I've photographed many times, and she said, you know, don't take any long exposures. Make them as short as possible because I, I just, I don't want anybody to say that we're, we're making fake pictures. And I said, okay, I'll, I will do that. And so when she was in trance, her spirit guide said, said to me, I want you to make one long exposure and I will show you my mask. And so I made one long exposure and the picture is just the most perfect image of, it looks like a second face just coming right off of her face and, and showing itself. And so things like that, I was, I was really um, 
interested in and working with situations like that. Another phenomena that the spiritualists often report is that the medium himself or herself, their features will change during their trance session as if when they become possessed by a spirit, uh, their face changes to look like that spirit. And I think you were able to capture some of that. Yes. So this is a, a phenomenon in spiritualism called transfiguration. And the only way I can uh, describe it is it's sort of like when you see a rainbow. You, you see the rainbow, um, but you know it's not there. In a, it's there, but it, at the same time, you know you can't grab it and, 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 and pull it. Uh, so if you're sitting in a dark seance with a red light and the medium is sitting for transfiguration, sometimes you see the face completely change and morph into to another face or to it, sometimes it'll go very fast. And a neuroscientist might say, oh, that's because you're in a dark room and your brain wants to make sense of the situation. So it's filling in all of this pheno visual phenomena for you. And a spiritualist would say, no, that is spirit manifesting. And so, you know, you have these two different explanations, but it is, it's sort of like a, a psychedelic phenomena with light. It's almost, it's very, it's very trippy when you see it. And so I, I photograph many of those situations and, what came out with my camera was different than what I saw with the eye, but it was still a pretty fascinating uh, experience photographing those situations. As I recall, one reviewer of your book was extremely impressed when the, the medium's face seemed to change in, in one of the images, and he took on a, a mustache. It looked like Hitler, and uh, I think there was some suggestion, maybe you shouldn't even show that picture, but people said, yes, you should. Yes, yes. So that that picture is um, a, a medium named Gordon Garforth, who I've photographed quite a bit. And he was in a uh, he went in an impromptu trance and it was under the only thing lighting the room was this green security light. And I was allowed to take pictures. So I took a bunch of pictures and obviously they were, you know, long exposures and there's a blur. Um, but in every picture, he was looking very transformed, like 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 a different person in every single picture. And I, I was really astounded by all the pictures I got. And there was one picture where he had like a Hitler-esque mustache. And I thought it was just too dramatic and too spooky to show him. And I didn't want to show him. And then uh, I was giving him the other pictures and he saw that picture and he said, that picture, that's the picture. And I was surprised that he said this and I didn't ask him why. And I gave him that, I included that picture in the pictures I gave him. And then six months later, I was in his home and he said, I need to show you something. And he pulled out a carte of visite and it was his great grandfather who had the same mustache. And the picture I had taken, this blurry, impromptu trance picture looked exactly like this carte de visite of his great grandfather. And it was so uncanny and so synchronistic and so bizarre. Um, I had to include it in, in the book. So you've also photographed snake handlers and voodoo ceremonies as as well. I guess you're you're drawn to the magic of these experiences. And the whole idea of representing belief and how do we do this? How do you talk about unseen forces or um 
other aspect, invisible aspects of the world or uh, experiences that you can't um, see, but you can feel. And, and so I've always been fascinated by that and the history of trying to photograph or visualize that either through painting or photography. And um, it's a challenging topic to work with. And I guess that's why I stay with it. And in addition to your own photographic work, you're amassing, I gather, quite a large collection of paranormal photographs from many different sources. I am doing research right now. Uh, most of my research, believe it or not, happens on Facebook because a lot of spiritualists will post their photographic experiments. And there's a lot of really uh, wonderful spirit photographers working today that their work just astounds me and inspires me. And it's so creative and so interesting. You, um, you know, I find it, I find it very inspiring, all the, all the free spirited experimentation and very sincere ways of working with photography that this visionary photography that not many people have seen. So one day I would like to collect all their works into a, a photo book as well. That would be really exciting project. Well, Shannon Taggart, this has been a stimulating conversation. You're really doing pioneering work, not only pioneering, but you're also bringing back the past at, at the same time. So you're both, to my way of thinking, a futurist and a historian. Shannon, I look forward to future interviews with you, and I want to thank you very much for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me. And for those of you watching or listening, thank you for being with us.